Good morning again. My name is Derek. If I haven't met you, I would love to. We are continuing a series in the Gospel of Mark. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Mark chapter 3. We're actually going backward a little bit in Mark. Um, We've been looking at a few of of Jesus' parables in Mark uh, over the last few weeks. We're going to actually go back and look at an encounter that Jesus has uh, that that actually Luke puts after the parables. And I think it's actually helpful for us to think about this after the parables because this is the kind of passage that helps us ask the question, what do we do with Jesus' teaching? What does it really mean for us? What are we supposed to do with the things that Jesus says to us? So, if you've got a Bible… Follow along with me, Luke chapter 3, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 3, I'm starting at verse 31, it's also on the screen above. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and they called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we're really grateful uh, for this passage. We're grateful for this season in the church calendar. We're grateful for what we anticipate. And Lord, even now, we anticipate uh, you speaking to us through your word. So will you open our hearts and soften, soften our hearts and open our ears that are oftentimes plugged up and open our eyes, Lord, that we might see what you have to say for us this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, a few weeks ago, I, I've told many of you that we, the bane of my existence, it feels like, is car trouble. And uh, a few weeks ago, I had gone to fill up our car with gas, and like I normally do, pulled up to the gas station, took the handle, you know, off the pump, put it in the car, did my card, did all that stuff, and like I normally do, I just go sit in the car while the gas is pumping. And so, sat in the car, fiddled around on my phone while the gas was pumping, and after a little while of fiddling, looked back up at the pump, and it had stopped, and it said 20.1 gallons. And uh, I thought, yeah, wow, I was really empty there, you know. Um, Glad I got some gas. So got out of the car, went back, hung the thing back up, put everything away, sat down in my car again, turned the car on, and the gas gauge was still on empty. And I thought, here we go. Now I've got a broken gas gauge, right? I just filled my car up with gas, and the gauge is broken. So I went from there in my heightened emotional state uh, straight to AutoZone to think, to say, okay, well, i got to repair this gas gauge, I guess. Tell me what this part costs. And, of course, as it always goes, they said, well, yeah, the part is little, it's pretty inexpensive, but it's actually attached to the fuel pump, and you've got to replace the whole fuel pump, and that's a $1,200 part. My temperature is increasing steadily here. And so at that point, I thought, well, I'm not paying $1,200 to replace my gas gauge, so I guess we're just going to have to work without a gas gauge, and I reset my 
trip, you know, odometer and thought, we're going to keep track of this by the mile, we're going to figure this out, and we're just not going to have a gas gauge in this car. Fast forward to later in that day, Joy is actually somewhere else. She's at Billy and Amanda's house, and I go over to pick her up in that car, and after I pick her up, as we're pulling out of the driveway, the car just dies. The temperature now, at this point, I mean, you could see it in my face. And so I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. What else could go wrong here? Try to start the car back up, nothing. And somewhere kind of in the back of my mind, I think, that kind of sounds like a fuel problem in the car. And somewhere else in the back of my mind, I start making some connections. Maybe it's not getting fuel. Maybe that's because there isn't any fuel. And as it turns out, I had taken the handle off of the pump and put it in my car, and I had gone in the car, and I had done all of the things, except that I hadn't pushed the little button that actually starts the pump. And so the 20 gallons of gas that I thought had gone in my car was actually what the person before me had filled up with. I never put any gas in my car. Now, it's good news, right? Because I didn't have to replace a bunch of things, but boy, did I feel like an idiot. Uh, I had gone through the motions, but going through the motions doesn't really do it. I had just kind of like thought I was walking around the things that I normally do, gone through the motions of putting gas in my car, but there's no gas in there. Now, again, this is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. I think a lot of times the way that we may look at Lent is this just this time that we just go through the motions. Here's this list of stuff that you're supposed to do or better yet not do, things you're supposed to give up so that we can go through the motions so that maybe God then can be happy with us. Friends, Jesus actually tells us the purpose even of what we're doing here in Lent, and it is to prepare our hearts so that we might find our ultimate allegiance in Jesus' family rather than elsewhere, so that we might fill our hearts with gospel fuel, so that we would cling most tightly to our allegiances in Jesus' family rather than the other places that we oftentimes give it. I want to look at a few things in this passage this morning. The first really is a warning. And it's this, is that it's possible to be really close to Jesus and really far away from Him at the same time. Let me say that again. It's possible to be really close to Jesus and really far away from Him at the same time. I mean, look again at what happens in this passage. Mark tells us that Jesus' mother and his brothers came and standing outside, not close to him to listen to him, but standing outside, they sent for him to say, you need to come out and talk to us. Now, if you actually go back in Mark 3 a little bit, in verse 21, verse 20, verse 20, look at verse 20. Sorry, Mark chapter 3, verse 20. This is what we read. Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he's out of his mind. We get a little insight on what his mother and his brothers were thinking there when they sent for him. They didn't really believe him. They thought Jesus was a crazy man. 
They thought Jesus was out of his mind. They were trying to seize him and make him, bring him to his senses. It's possible, actually, to grow up with Jesus, we read right there, to be around him all the time and to still not really get what he's doing. This is Mary we're talking about. Mary who was spoken to directly by an angel about Jesus' birth. Mary who, who watched him turn water into wine. Mary, who should have known? And his brothers who had grown up with him. Jesus is about 30 years old at this time, so that's a long time. And they were close, but they didn't really get it. You know, friends, it is possible to grow up in church, to hear the gospel, to go through the motions, to check all the boxes, and to not really get the truth. I heard the testimony of a, of a friend of mine this week, a friend who's an elder at, a, at another a church in San Antonio, and he was talking about just kind of how the Lord had, had taken a hold of him in his life. And like many of us, it was late high school, early college when he really was uh, awakened to the gospel, grew up in a nominally, nominally Christian home, but really in, in college, you know, got this fire for the Lord. And in college, um, and again, maybe this is some of you as well, went to five different campus ministry organizations every week. He would go to this Bible study and this Bible study and this Bible study and this Bible study, all in an effort to feel like, you know, if I just keep doing and doing and doing and doing, well, then maybe God has got to like me at some point. And he did a lot because he's a doer. And he got involved with the church plant. And at the very beginning was, was one of the first elders elected for this church plant. But it wasn't until about 10 years later that all of that doing kind of finally came crashing down, and he really understood that the gospel is not about do, but about done. What Jesus has done on our behalf, not what we do for him. And it was that point where God just uh, reached deep into his heart and changed him deeply. He had been an elder for 10 years. Now, Again, why do I say that? It's to give us a warning that sometimes we can be really close and still not really get it. But there is wonderful news here because the flip side is also true. It's that those who have been far off have been brought near by Jesus. Not only is it true that we can be really near and still be far off, but the real heart of the gospel is that those who are far off have been brought near. In our uh, Introducing Hope class, we oftentimes talk about the difference between a guest and a host. If you're inviting somebody over for dinner, you're the host. They're the guest. They're not going to clean up your house. They're not going to prepare everything. They may bring a bottle of wine, but you're the one who's really doing the work. You're the host. You're making sure everything goes well. You've been cleaning the house all day and cooking the meal, all in preparation to have them over. The other thing about being a guest is that you don't have full access, do you? You get served a nice meal, you get taken care of, but you're not going to go wandering around into the master bathroom probably. <laughs> At least you're not going to go into mine. But if you are the host, the whole house is yours. You're not an outsider. You're an insider. This is what the Bible proclaims as true of Jesus' family. If you belong to Christ by faith, you are no longer an outsider. 
You're an insider. You have been brought into the family of God. You're not a guest anymore. Not only do you not have to kind of come and tiptoe and wonder what's going on, but you have full access to the family and to the family's belongings. You have access to the household. Friends, one of the the most important theological concepts that the New Testament proclaims is that of adoption, that God's people have been adopted into His family. Just listen to some of these verses. Here's Romans 8.15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4.5 says this, that Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Jesus begins to teach His his disciples how to pray by addressing the Lord as our Father. In fact, the way that He talks about God most in the Sermon on the Mount is your Father. That's, That's the phrase that Jesus uses most to refer to God. He says, your Father in heaven. Those who belong to the Lord belong to His family. Now listen, there's some of you that really need to hear this this morning because you grew up in a family with a bad father or you grew up in a family with a mother who despised you or at least treated you as such or you grew up in a family where your siblings were always making fun of you or you felt like an outsider or you were made to feel like you were worthless or you were nothing. Or you grew up in a family where your parents died at an early age, or where there was always strife and difficulty going on, or where there was absence, or like me in a divorced family, and it has its effects. And especially those of us who grew up with parents who were abusive or absent or emotionally manipulative, manipulative, What we need to hear more than anything else is that the primary family that we belong to is Jesus' family. And we have a Father who is none of those things. He is good and loving and cares for us. And we have an older brother who loves us so much that he would die for us. Friends, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, that's your family. That is the primary relationship that you have. You have been brought into the family of God. So there's the warning and the celebration. And then we also have this. It's a call to discipleship. And it's those that have been brought near are called to stay near. Those that have been brought into Jesus' family are those who do His will who actually abide by the family rules. Maybe you've even said this to your kids before, is that's not how we do it in our family. And that's true of being a part of the family of God as well, is that there are particular ways that we are called to act. And friends, actually belonging to Jesus' family is going to cause conflict in the other relationships in your life. Let me just say that again because it's not something we like to hear. Belonging to Jesus' family and remaining 
faithful to Jesus' family will actually cause conflict in your other relationships. That may be the bond that you feel with a particular political party, that you feel like you're in a political family. Jesus is asking you to give that up for the sake of His family primacy. Or you may feel like it's your cultural family that is primary for you. Jesus is asking you to put that second. Maybe you feel like it's your career path family, that those are the connections that you identify most with. Jesus is asking you to put that second. Because what Jesus is saying is that belonging to my family is what needs to drive all that you do. It is the place that you are going to find your identity. It is the place that you are going to be formed and shaped so that your activity might actually mimic his family life. I want to read to you from John 1. If you've got a Bible, you can flip over there or you can just listen. This is the way that the Gospel of John really opens up. In John 1, 6, John is talking about John the Baptist. I want you to just listen to the way that he talks about John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. What does that mean for us to bear witness about the light? Well, it simply means that we get to tell the truth. We get to proclaim in all that we do and say what is true. Now, think about this. If you were in your house and it's early morning and you decide to to light a few candles, well, the candle in the corner, it's going to look pretty, but it's also going to shed some light, isn't it? It's going it's to create light that disperses throughout the room, and, and it's going to be the brightest where the candle is, but really even over in the corners of the room, you're going to see a little bit of that light. But if someone comes into the room and they turn on the overhead light, that candle light isn't really going to do much anymore. The overhead light, the greater light, is going to actually drown out the lesser lights. It doesn't mean that it's not on anymore, but it's certainly not the primary light. Or if you have a flashlight and you were to walk with your flashlight outside before dawn, well, you're going you're to shine light everywhere so that you can see, and it's actually going to illuminate the way. But if you took that same flashlight out at noon on a sunny day, the flashlight really isn't going to do a lot because there's a greater light at work, and that greater light is actually going to drown out the lesser light. I believe that's what John is telling us is that John the Baptist actually came to shine the bigger light so that it might actually drown out the smaller lights in our lives. And friends, your career, your physical family, your cultural identity, Jesus is not calling you to snuff them out. He's not calling you to completely ignore them. What He is calling you to, calling us all to, is for those things to be drowned out by the greater light of the gospel. So that when we turn on the gospel light, all of those things actually get subsumed by it. That's the primary focus of our lives. That's the thing that actually enlightens our path. That's the thing that actually uh, lightens up and exposes the dark places in our hearts. 
That's the guide for us, friends. And as we come into this season of Lent, that's really what we're doing. We're turning up the gospel light in preparation for Good Friday and Easter. We're turning up that gospel light in our hearts so that we might be more dedicated, so that we might see that family relationship as primary in our lives, so that it would drive everything, not to, not to eliminate the other lights in our lives, but really to overwhelm them. That's what we do every Sunday. It's what I'm going to invite you to do, even in this season of Lent, every day, to spend just a few moments turning up that gospel light so that you might prepare your heart to celebrate more fervently and more fully the wonderful family that you've been called into in Christ. Let's pray that God would enable us to do that even today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for this, um, for the hard teachings, uh, the ones that seem like uh, we're not totally sure what to do with. We're grateful even for the conflict that you draw us into, as hard as that even is for me to say and pray, and we ask that you would draw us further into it. And Lord, by the power of your Spirit, will you make us those who cling most tightly to the family relationship that we have in you that has been won for us by the cost of your blood, that has been given to us by your grace alone. We pray all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen.